coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation. It's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA podcast, brought to you, of course, by our great friends at Alumni Hall. Make sure, guys, do yourself a favor, check out Alumni Hall today to pick up all the new Georgia gear from all of your favorite brands, because Alumni Hall is where the Bulldogs shop. But all right, guys, I am your host, Tyler, and while all of the recruiting coverage over the past month has been great, it's been fun, I've enjoyed doing it, it's not something we really get a chance to do much or really at all, once the season hits. We go basically, what, August to December without being able to really talk any recruiting So we've got so much in-season content to cover. And I guess once we hit the early signing period in mid-December, we do an episode or two on recruiting, but that's really it for like the next six months. So it's been nice to have a chance to kind of dive into that, especially in the month of June, which has clearly become the busiest and most important month on the recruiting calendar. But as fun as that was, today is the day my friends today is the day that we turn the page fully 100 percent to previewing the 2023 season and doing what i truly love to do which is talking actual football you know players teams schemes all of that stuff that gives me the warm and fuzzy so i could not possibly be more excited about today's show because I get to do that. I get to talk real action football teams, players, give you my projections on some of these teams. So I'm pumped, guys. I'm excited for this. I hope you are too. By the time that you are listening to this episode, by the time it actually gets out to you guys, chances are it is going to be July, which means that we are two months, guys. Two months from college football SEC. Media Days will be here in a couple of weeks. For whatever that's worth, it's really not worth that much to me, but what that means is we're closer to football. So it's coming, guys. It's coming, and we are going to kick things off today with what I think is going to be a fun show. I I figured what better way to kick off our preview of the 2023 season than by ranking every single Power 5 game on our schedule by difficulty and, in the process, of course, previewing every one of those teams that we are going to play in the 2023 regular season. So I'm ready to roll, guys. This is an episode that I have been waiting to do for a couple of weeks now. I'm excited for it, but I do want to just put this out there real quick. This is not going to be a deep dive into every team. It's going to be a preview of every team, every Power 5 team on our schedule, but it's not going to be like a deep dive that we usually like to do on this podcast because, I mean, we can't fit all that in one episode, right? I mean, it would be like a five or six hour podcast episode and... Outside of maybe Dan Carlin's Hardcore History, I don't know of any podcasts out there that produces episodes that long because that's just crazy. No one is going to pay attention that long. And that's what our Scouting the Enemy series is for, which, by the way, we are going to be kicking off next week with a deep dive into the South Carolina Gamecocks. But today, we're just going to get this ball rolling and give you guys a primer on every team, every Power 5 team on the schedule. So let's go ahead and let's get to it, guys. Let's start the bottom. We're going to start the bottom and work our way up. So we've got nine Power 5 games on our schedule. I wish it was 10. I wish we had Oklahoma on our schedule. Unfortunately, we all know why that's that's not a reality this year. Eventually it will be, but not this year. So we have nine Power 5 games of our eight SEC opponents, plus, of course, Georgia Tech. So coming in at number nine is the game in Nashville against the Vanderbilt Commodores. Of all the Power 5 games on our schedule, I've got this as the least difficult game on our schedule. 
I don't think I would get much pushback for most of you on that. Some of you might say Georgia Tech, which we'll get to here in a little bit. But here's why I've got Vanderbilt coming in at the very bottom of my list. I do think Vandy is improving. They are. I like Clark Lee. I think he's a good coach. I think he's going to do a good job at Vandy relative to what they are and what their standards are. I like A.J. Swan at quarterback. I think he showed some things as a freshman last year. Now, he was in and out of the lineup. He was inconsistent, but he showed me enough, showed me flashes to believe with another year in the system that he can take a step forward this year and be a solid, not an elite, certainly not an elite, not yet, and I'm probably not ever, but at least a solid option for Vanderbilt, again, relative to what they usually have at that position. You have A.J. Swan at quarterback. You also have Will Shepard at wide receiver, who is really one of the better receivers in the SEC. I was somewhat surprised, actually fairly surprised, that he did not enter the transfer portal after last year. I figured he might be one of those guys that would do that, a really talented player that has some NIL value that could go to a bigger, better school and maybe compete for championships and get some NIL money. But no, he stuck around in Nashville. So, you know, it's nice to see actually some guys showing a little bit of loyalty to their programs, sticking around with their guys and with their coaches. But this is a guy that was a top 10 receiver in the SEC last year, at least according to his numbers. I mean, in his yards per game, he was a top 10 receiver in the league. And that was with, I don't want to call it a disastrous quarterback position, but pretty close to it. They dealt with some injuries in that position. There's just generally a lot of instability there. And he was able to finish in the top 10 in the SEC in receiving yards despite all of that. So that dude is talented. I'm surprised he stuck around, but hey, he did. So it's not as though they are entirely devoid of talent. They don't have a lot of it, but there's a couple players here and there. But still, despite Swan, despite Shepard, the talent level, when you look at this entire Vanderbilt roster, it's still far below that of anyone else on our schedule. I mean, really, guys, it is significantly lower than any other Power 5 team that we are going to play. And that's why I've got Vandy coming at the bottom list. I know it's on the road, but I mean, if any of you have ever been to Nashville for a Georgia Vandy game, you know what that environment's like. It is Athens North. We will take over that stadium, which is what we do every year that we play there, and it's what every opponent essentially does every time they play in Nashville. That's nothing new. So those Vandy players, like they're they're used to essentially playing on the road every game of the year because they're almost always outnumbered at home. It is almost like a road environment, despite the fact, I guess, they're get to, they get to sleep in their own beds maybe. But outside of that, it is a road environment for them. So the fact that it's in Nashville, that doesn't concern me in the slightest, not remotely. And while Clark Lee is in the process very slowly, but surely upgrading the talent there in Nashville, it's still not there yet. And it's still, again, in my opinion, the least amount of talent of any team that we will play in the Power 5 this season. So that's why I've got Vandy coming in at number nine. Let's go to number eight here. I've got Georgia Tech. I've got Georgia Tech coming in at number eight. And I will admit, like this was kind of neck and neck. Vandy and Tech, neck and neck for that bottom spot. You could certainly make an argument to flip-flop those, have Tech at nine and Vandy at eight. And I really wouldn't put up that much of a fight but the reason I've got Tech at eight is really twofold. Number one, they do have more talent than Vandy. I mean, come on, guys. I know Tech's not very talented, but they do have more talent than Vandy. They're able to recruit a little bit better by virtue of the fact, honestly, just being in the state of Georgia. There's just so many good players in Georgia that they're going to get a couple of guys every year. Now, obviously, they don't get anyone that we're after. They get our scraps. I mean, they have to dig way down into the trash heap to find a guy that we have basically just not even remotely recruited. Those are the guys that Tech gets, but that guy that Tech is getting is still, generally speaking, more talented than the guys that Vanderbilt is getting. So that's a big part of it. And the other part is, 
I think that Brent Key was a good hire for Tech. I think at the end of last season, he showed that he can bring stability, he can bring structure, discipline to a Georgia Tech program that has not had that in a while. Basically, he was not a clown show like Geoff was, like old Geoff Collins. He wasn't a clown show. He's a real, living, breathing football coach who comes from the Saban tree. He spent time at Alabama. He understands that the process and how to build a program, all of those things. Now, is he going to turn them around right away? No, of course not. Will he ever fully turn them around? I mean, define turn around. I mean, it's all relative, right? Just like with Vandy, we're talking about tech standards. I think he can get them back to a bowl game within a couple of years. I, I, I certainly do. I think that's certainly possible with his background and what he showed me last year and Again, being able to recruit the state of Georgia, I think in a couple of years, sure, he can get them back to a bowl game. I just don't know if it's right away in year one. They still have a lot of talent deficiencies on that team. But I do have respect for Brent Key. And honestly, guys, it's been a while. It has been a while since I've been able to say that about any Georgia Tech football coach. So that's why I've got them coming at number eight. I'll also throw this out there. The Jackets did pick up a very interesting transfer from Texas A&M. You guys remember Haynes King, right? The guy that started the season for AM as their quarterback last year. Actually, each of the last two years, but dealt with injuries back in 2021. He got knocked out, I think, in game two against Colorado, I want to say. And that's when Zach Calzada had to come in and save the day. And Haynes King never really got his job back. And he ended up throwing like less than 40 passes on the year. Then last year, he was in an offseason battle with Oconee County's own Max Johnson. And they were kind of going back and forth. Haynes King started the season, didn't work out well for him. Max Johnson comes in, gets injured, and then you go to the freshman, you go to Connor Wegman. But Haynes King basically won that job coming out of camp two years in a row. He's an interesting prospect, has has the funkiest throwing motion I might have ever seen in my life. It's got this like weird, like almost like a double hitch, definitely a single hitch, maybe even a double hitch if you want to call it that. It's weird, man. I honestly don't know how anyone ever grows up starting and even learning to throw the football that way and how no one, even at a young age, is like, hey, dude, that's not how you throw a football. Let's do it this way. It's weird, but some some way, somehow, it kind of works for him. But he's a talented guy. He's a former four-star prospect. He's got a good frame, tall guy, good arm, but I don't know if he's going to win the job. He's there. He's at Tech. I don't know if he's going to win the job. They have a couple other guys that played for them last year. The two Zachs. They got Zach Pyron and Zach Gibson, but guys, both those dudes were terrible. Like they, they sucked. They were not good when they played. So I think he's got a really strong chance to win this job. And if he doesn't, then like he's just a complete and utter bust. And then, then maybe that's the case. But from a physical standpoint, I know he hasn't played a lot at Texas A&M, but he, what I have seen of him, he has shown me more than either Pyron or Gibson at the two Zach. So I think he's going to win the job. And if he can start to kind of fulfill his potential, Things could get pretty interesting for Tech. Now, they're still not remotely good enough to beat us. That's why they're at number eight. But if he is a guy that can can figure things out, and if he can stay healthy, which he's had a lot of issues doing, then this Tech team could potentially contend to make a bowl this year. I wouldn't put it out of the question for them. But again, they have no chance to beat us. Their talent level doesn't remotely even come close to being able to do that. So this is a game that I'm not worried about at all. I know it's in Atlanta. Again, like Vandy, it's on the road. But what's going to happen? We're going to take over that stadium just like we do every single time we play there. So those two are easy calls for me. Vandy, Tech, whatever order you want to put them in, they've got to be be the bottom two. I got Vandy coming at number nine and Tech at number eight. You could have a different opinion there. But I, I think it's pretty safe to say those are the two easiest games on our schedule this season. At number seven, I have a team that might surprise you that I have them this low, this close to the bottom of my list. And that's the Florida Gators. Guys, Florida's not going to be good. 
They are not going to be a good football team this year. We've talked about it a little bit uh, in the past month or so. Well, I guess when we, back when we did our SEC East win totals, I think Florida is going to struggle to get to five. I think six is like, that's pie in the sky stuff for Florida this year. I, I don't see how they get to six. Like It's going to take some doing, like some miraculous stuff, some balls seriously bouncing their way, I think, to get to six wins. Five, man, like I don't even know if they get to five. I think maybe, maybe, possibly. And their win total is five and a half, guys. It's not like what I'm saying. It's crazy. Oddsmakers out there feel the same way. Their win total is five and a half. They are not going to be good. And it all starts with the quarterback position. Graham Mertz ain't it. The transfer from Wisconsin, he ain't it, guys. Think about this. You're telling me that a Florida team that could not win with the number four pick in the NFL draft at quarterback that could not stay within three touchdowns of us last year, again, with the number four pick in the NFL draft at quarterback, that team is all of a sudden going to make up that ground in one season with Graham Mertz at quarterback? You're going to go with a guy that got ran out of Wisconsin and he is going to turn your team around to the point that now you can actually compete with Georgia? That is pure and utter insanity. I mean, listen to these numbers, guys. All right, this is Graham Mertz as a three-year starter at Wisconsin, all right? This guy has never once in his life as a college quarterback thrown for more than 2,136 yards. That is his season high in three years as a starting quarterback. Three years. His highest touchdown total was 19. He's thrown 21 interceptions combined in the past two seasons. He's thrown 29 touchdowns to 21 interceptions over the past two years. He completed 61% of his passes in 2020 during the COVID year, but each of the past two years didn't even crack 60% completion percentage. The only reason people still somewhat kind of a little bit talk about him like he's something, like he's somebody, is because he was a pretty high-profile recruit back in the day. He's one of the highest-profile quarterback recruits that Wisconsin has gotten in recent memory. So people still have this thought of him going back from the recruiting days, oh, he's actually good, when he has done nothing in his career but show us that he is not actually good. He has tried so very hard to convince us of that, but there are still people out there, certainly most of them now in the Florida fan base, but still some people nationally are like, hey, you know what? Maybe with a better system, he could actually be good. And it's like, what have you possibly seen from this guy to think that? How can you possibly have that opinion? Again, listen to these numbers. Go back to 2020 COVID year. This guy, he got hurt. He started the season, he got hurt. But in total, he threw for 1,238 yards, 61% completion percentage, Nine touchdowns to five picks, 6.4 yards per attempt. 2021, his first like full regular starting year as as the Wisconsin quarterback, threw for under 2,000 yards, 1958, 59.5% completion percentage, only 6.9 yards per attempt, 10 touchdowns, 11 picks. Last year, 2,136 yards, 7.5 yards per attempt, 57.3% completion percentage, 19 touchdowns to 10 interceptions. And that's the guy? that's the guy that is going to elevate your team to the point that you can even conceive of beating Georgia? That is insane. That is crazy talk. But hey, you know what? Let Florida fans do what Florida fans are going to do. That's on them. They're the ones that are going to have to face that disappointment. But if Graham Mertz is not the guy, which clearly I do not think that he is, what else do you have? Like, What else do you have that makes you special? If it's not the quarterback, something's got to make you special if you're going to compete with Georgia that can overcome below average play at the most important position on the field. 
And I'm looking at that roster, guys, like objectively trying to find, okay, what, what is Florida really good at? I think they have two good backs, okay? I think Trevor Etienne is a really good back, and I think Montrez Johnson, the transfer from Louisiana that came over to Billy Napier last year, is a really good back. Those two guys really complement each other. Johnson's more the physical, between-the-tackles type guy. Don't get me wrong, Etienne can do that too, but he's a guy that's more dangerous, dangerous in space. He's a better receiver out of the backfield. Really nice running back duo there. Those guys are good. Now, are they elite, elite, elite to the point that they're going to compensate for really bad quarterback play? No, I don't think they're that, but they are really good. But the problem for them in the run game is they lose all of their best offensive linemen, whether it's to the NFL draft or whether it was to transfer. Remember Josh Braun, guys? Remember that big old dude that was committed to us once upon a time and Pittman goes to, to Arkansas and then he ends up decommitting and goes to Florida? Well, he's transferred out. And their offensive line was pretty good last year. Their run game was really good, especially with Anthony Richardson and his ability to to pose a threat with his legs. But their offensive line was good last year. But you're losing all of your best players. And let's not forget, guys, I know that right now Billy Napier is doing a really good job recruiting, which I told you he was going to once they hired him. Like, he was going to fix their talent problem. You had to give him time. He has to survive, which I don't know if he will. But in the short term, there are major talent deficiencies on that team because Dan Mullen was asleep at the wheel when it came to recruiting. And that's what he's working with right now. Those are the issues that he's facing right now. He'll get his guys in here eventually, but they ain't here right now. So when all your best offensive linemen either move on to the NFL or they transfer out, you simply do not have the high quality players to draw from. You don't have the depth to just plug and play right away. I think the offensive line is going to be an issue for them this year. And you also have a guy at quarterback who's essentially a statue back there. At the very least, he's not Anthony Richardson, right, with his escapability. So I think that is going to be a problem for Florida this year. And you look at them defensively, who? Who who are we talking about that's special back there? They are 91st nationally in returning defensive production, and they lost all of their best players defensively. They lost Ventrell Miller. You lose Dexter. You lose all those guys that were, they weren't special. They weren't elite. But they were the best players in their defense. Those guys are all gone. And again, you are pulling from a pool of players that is simply not good enough to compete with Georgia. All those guys that Dan Mullen brought in because the dude was asleep at the wheel. They don't have the depth. They don't have the talent right now. And they don't have the quarterback. Because if you have the quarterback, even though you don't have as much talent and you can't match up like... 1385, if you have the quarterback, that can be the X factor and can make the game closer than it probably should be. But they don't have that, guys. They don't have that. Florida is not going to be good. Again, I think they will struggle to get to five games. And I think it's going to be yet another Georgia blowout in the world's largest outdoor cocktail party. So there are the first three teams, guys. That's the bottom. That's the bottom of the barrel. And we got a lot more to talk about. Before we go any further, though, I do want to just, again, quickly remind you guys about our great friends at Alumni Hall. I told you guys earlier at the beginning of the show, we are two months, two months away from the college football season. You do not want to wait until the last second to get your 2023 game day gear. You don't want to wait till the last second because all the best options are going to be gone. Your size is going to be gone. You're going to be frustrated because you found the perfect shirt, the perfect polo, the perfect pair of pants, the perfect hat, whatever it is that you want to find, but you're going to have trouble finding your size. Trust me, guys. I've been there. It's been a minute. I've learned my lesson many years ago, but I've been there. So don't be that guy. Don't put yourself in that position. Go ahead and get your game day gear today. Get outfitted, and there's no better place to do that than Alumni Hall. They have all the best gear, all the best selection, the best brands, the best prices, the best customer service, the best of everything, really, guys. Trust me on that. So stop in today inside the Epps Bridge Shopping Center in the Classic City or online at alumnihall.com because Alumni Hall is where the Bulldogs shop. 
All right, guys, let's keep this show rolling, and let's go to number six, okay? Number six. Now, the fans of this team, this program, would probably want to fight me over this, but hey, whatever. I'm calling it how I see it. Coming in at number six, I've got the South Carolina Gamecocks, and you know, you, on some level, you got to feel bad for the old Cox, right? This is a team that historically has been just an also-ran, like an afterthought program, right? I mean, they, they have an under 500% winning percentage for the program's history. They've won less than 50% of their games. They have only won one conference championship in the history of the school, and that was not an SEC championship. This is just a program that has never really had any sort of sustained success, and they haven't even had those blips, right? I guess you could say that the Spurry years were those blips, but outside of that, they haven't had any sort of sustained success. And even under Spurrier, what they went, they made it to one SEC championship game, and that was the height of their success. It's it's been tough going. And I gotta give the Carolina fans credit. I will always give them credit for this. They are loyal to a fault, man. They are one of the most loyal fan bases you'll ever find because they've essentially had nothing meaningful to cheer for, like ever, but yet they keep coming back. So if there are any Gamecock fans out there listening, I don't know why you would be listening. This is a Georgia podcast. But if you're out there, if you catch one of this, I think you guys are really, really good fans. Don't particularly love you. I think you guys don't really understand how to how to win. Like when you win, you can't handle it. But hey, you know, I, I, I guess I get that on, on some level. So great fans who love their program. But saying that, they are delusional. And all fan bases are, right? Like on some level, to some degree, all fan bases have a, a bit of delusion ingrained in them we and that's us too guys like we all want to think that we are the best and we all engage in more than a bit of rationalization to try to convince ourselves that we are indeed the best and even though the teams that are having more success than us have had more success it's only because they're doing xyz they're cheating this way or that way but we're really better and we all do that right so i i can't say they're necessarily unique in doing this but they are delusional okay and the delusion this year stems from how they ended last year. And they ended the regular season with a flurry, guys. They two top 10 wins at the end of the season, one at home against Tennessee, and then one on the road at Clemson. And in the process, both of those wins knocked both Tennessee and Clemson out of the college football playoff picture. Both teams, when they were playing South Carolina those weeks, they were very much in, in the picture. I think Tennessee, if they would have won out, had a really significant shot. I think they probably would have gotten in over Ohio State. I think there's a real chance they would have. And certainly Clemson, if they would have not lost to South Carolina at home and they go on to win the ACC championship with one loss, they were getting in over Ohio State and Carolina knocked both of those teams out. So that is where the optimism in the South Carolina fan base is coming from right now. And understandably, I, I do understand that. But here's the thing. That's not who South Carolina was last year. Those were very much anomalous performances. I mean, hell, the week before they beat Tennessee at home, they got run out of the swamp by 31 points to a Florida team that ended the season with a losing record. I mean, if we'd wanted to, we could have dropped 80-plus on South Carolina last year. Easily, we could have. The way they end the season was not who they were all year long. And it, I know you can say, well, they, they figured things out, and so that's who they're going to be coming into this year. Well, not so fast, my friend. What did they do the bowl game? Fast forward to the bowl game against Notre Dame, and they revert back to what they were all season long. So I'm not buying the hype the way that the South Carolina fans are. And hey, I'm honestly not alone here. It's not like I'm the one guy standing on a limb, you know, screaming from the from the mountaintops here. No, this is something the odds makers are seeing as well. Because what was South Carolina's win total? Six and a half. Now, when that was released, Carolina fans were like just 
aghast at the disrespect, but it's like, no, again, go back and look at the context. Just because you ended the se- the regular season with two nice wins doesn't mean that's who you project to be this year because you still have the same quarterback who, yes, just like the team, played out of his mind those two games against Tennessee and Clemson, but that's not who he was the rest of the year. We'll get way more into South Carolina next week. I don't want to go too far on this, but they just simply don't have the horses right now, guys. They have one player that I would say even like remotely concerns me. Juice Wells, a receiver. I think he's one of the better receivers, maybe the best receiver in the SEC. I will grant them that. But outside of him, who do they have? Who do they have that even like remotely concerns you? I don't see those guys. I know some people would say Spencer Rattler, who some people view as a dark horse Heisman. I'm not buying that, okay? That's not something I'm buying. I'm not going to buy the Spencer Rattler stock. I'm going to go with what he showed me the vast majority of last year. I know how he ended the season, but again, that's not who he was all year long last year. So I'm just not buying South Carolina. You look at their returning production with Bill Conley's numbers, they are 102nd nationally returning production. And again, they recruit better than a team like Tech does. Um, they recruit better, even recently, than like Florida has so with Dan Mullen. So they have more talent to work with, but they still don't recruit at the level that like we do, where they're going to be able to take all that lost production and just not skip a beat because they're going to have guys that can just plug and play right away. They don't have that kind of talent. So I've got South Carolina coming at number six. I know the South Carolina fans want to fight me, and I would just say, bring it on. All right, coming in at number five, we're about the halfway point here. I've got the Missouri Tigers. Now, I do think when I was making this list, I didn't. I don't make lists like this to to try to stir the pot. I try to give you my honest opinion. But when I was putting this list together, I was aware that having Missouri ahead of South Carolina as a more difficult game on our schedule this season might raise a few eyebrows because I think the general perception among college football fans and SEC fans out there is that Carolina is just a better program than Missouri. And maybe they are a better program, I don't think by much, honestly. I mean, they haven't beaten, you know, for all the the publicity that Shane Beamer gets and all the love that he gets, do we realize that he still has not beaten Missouri? I know it's only been two years. Hadn't beaten Missouri. Yeah, beat Tennessee. Cool. Oh, yeah. Beat Clemson once. Cool. Still haven't beat Missouri. So I don't know that South Carolina is actually a better program than Missouri. I I would kind of push back on that a little bit. I think they're just about on the same plane. But regardless, I think the perception is that South Carolina is is a better program. But you look at where Missouri is coming into this year and compared to where South Carolina is, very, very different programs right now in terms of what they have to work with this season. Again, South Carolina, 102nd nationally returning production. Missouri's top 10 guys. They're number nine nationally in returning production. In fact, they are one of eight teams in all of college football to end last season in Bill Conley's S&P Plus Top 40 and start the season in the top 10 in returning production going into 2023. One of eight teams. And this was a bowl team last year. They did beat Arkansas. They bout killed me. <laughs> they ruined my Arkansas win total bet, which is one of the few that I lost last year, but it was it was one that was frustrating because I, that was probably the one I was most confident with. So that, that kind of hurt the ego more than anything. But they, they beat Arkansas by two points, get to a bowl game, and they've got a lot of returning talent. Now, the one play they don't have is currently on our roster, Dominic Lovett, who was their best receiver last year. He was the most explosive option at really, not just at receiver, but on their entire offense. So he's not there, but Luther Burden, who was a, a, a big five-star get for them uh, what two years ago out of the high school ranks, I think he should reasonably take a step forward this year. He wasn't what they wanted him to be as a freshman last year. He was kind of in Lovett's shadow, 
But now that Lovett's gone, he's going to be the guy. And I, I think it's reasonable to expect him to take a, a solid step forward this year. Quarterback does remain the question for Missouri. Brady Cook, who was their guy last year, returns. He was very, very average at best last year. He does have some dual threat ability. He's got some mobility that certainly gives him an edge maybe some, over some of the other guys. But they did bring in a transfer from Miami, a guy named Jake Garcia, who some of you might remember, transferred for his senior year of high school to play at Grayson High School for I Pretty sure he was from California, if I remember correctly. And he was a five-star guy, goes to Miami, doesn't win the job. Tyler Van Dyke wins that job. And so he transfers out. Still a highly talented quarterback, a high-profile guy. He is now at Missouri. They also have Sam Horn, who was another Gwinnett County kid from Collinsville High School. So they've got a couple of options that will push Brady Cook. I don't know who's going to win that job. I, I think that Garcia is probably the most talented, but Cook's been the system. He's got the starting experience. Neither Horn or Garcia really have that much experience to speak of at all. Horn has no experience. Garcia started a couple of games for Miami, but they did not go well for him. So we'll see how that works out. I think those questions still remain, but they have options this year, and those are more options than they had to work with last year. So I think Missouri's going to be a solid football team. Defensively, they were sneakily one of the best defenses in the SEC last year. And again, they are top 10 nationally in returning production. And they returned Tyron Hopper, who I think was the best player off that defense last year at linebacker. So I think they're going to do some good things on defense. I think they should have an improved offense this year. With, with If it's a break cook quarterback, he'll be more of a veteran. He'll have more experience. And if it's if it's either Horn or Garcia that win the job, you just have more talent at the quarterback position. So I think that this is a team that could take a step forward this year and get to seven, maybe eight wins. So I got them ahead of South Carolina, which I know some people might disagree with, but that's how I see things coming into 2023. All right, next up at number four on my 2023 Georgia football schedule rankings, I have the Ole Miss Rebels. This is a team that we don't have to play very often, so it's kind of fun to play a different team, see somebody coming to Athens that we don't normally get a chance to see. I remember the last time we played them because I was sweating my ass off trying to fight off heat stroke while I was watching Hugh Freeze and his Ole Miss Rebels just wipe the floor with us there in Oxford. So I've been waiting for this one for a minute. It'd be a lot sweeter if Hugh Freeze was still there. But regardless, this is one I've been waiting on for a minute, so I'm excited to have them come into Athens. I strongly considered having Ole Miss inside the top three. I really did. I I thought long and hard about this. I went back and forth on it, but ultimately, I settled on leaving them just outside the top three at number four, and I'll explain in more detail once I get to the teams that are inside the top three and why I think they should be over Ole Miss, but this Ole Miss team is very intriguing to me. I think this is a team that has the talent to potentially be a 10-win team. But you look at that schedule, and it's like, oh my God. I mean, you got to go to Alabama, you got to go to Georgia. That's tough, man. That's on top of the rest of the SEC West. That's a tough schedule. They got to go to Tulane, who represented the G5 in the New Year's Six last year and also returns quarterback Michael Pratt. That is a tough road game that didn't seem so tough, I'm sure, when they initially scheduled it. They have a really tough schedule. So I don't think they're going to get to 10 wins just by virtue of the schedule, but I think they have the type of talent that could be a, like a 9 or 10-win team. If they had our schedule... I think they could be a 9 or 10 win team. But unfortunately for the Rebels, that's just not how things worked out for them this year. Now, when you look at this team, let's start with quarterback. You would think that one of the, what, 17 quarterbacks that they have on roster would actually give Lane Kiffin what he needs, but it's still a giant question mark. Jackson Dart coming in from USC as a transfer last year, he won the job, and he was solid for them. Uh, He was mobile enough. He really wasn't a true dual threat guy. He could run enough to do what Kiffin wanted to do in the run game was Let's, let's be real with what Ole Miss does, guys. They run the football. I know everyone thinks that they, they throw the football all over the yard. Like, they'll throw the ball. But even when they had Matt Corral, 
that is a team. It's very much like the Gus Malzahn system. It's not the same, certainly not the same, but it's similar in that they have all this window dressing, all this, all this motion, all this, all these spread formations. But what they really want to do at the core of their offense is run the football right at you. That's what they want to do. And he wants to have a quarterback that can run the football. Remember Matt Corral? I mean, that dude got beat up left and right because he was just taking shots, man. And Jackson Dart, he wanted Jackson Dart to be able to do those things. And Dart was a willing enough runner and capable enough, but he wasn't a dynamic runner, which would have been fine if he was a more proficient passer last year, but he wasn't. But he's still a former five-star guy, highly talented player. He just hasn't quite translated. I think maybe a little overvalued coming out of high school. And the big name they brought in to compete with him at quarterback was Spencer Sanders from Oklahoma State. And Sanders was, what, a three, four-year starter at Oklahoma State, very up and down, highly inconsistent. But he did lead Oklahoma State to a 10-win season and an appearance in the Big 12 title game in 2021, a game in which they came in like like half a yard short of winning and half a yard short of making it to the college playoff, guys. If they would have won that game, they would have gone to the college playoff. They would have beaten Baylor, but they didn't. They were literally half a yard short of the end zone there. And uh, that was a tough blow for them, but that was Spencer Sanders at quarterback. I mean, he's been good. He's been a good quarterback for a good Oklahoma State team. So now he is at Ole Miss. Is he going to win the job? I don't know. I thought it was crazy that he transferred there. I don't know how Lane Kiffin got him to transfer there, but some way, somehow he did, even though there was an incumbent starter that was returning. So they have a fascinating situation at quarterback. I do think Sanders, actually, I know Sanders is more of the running threat that Kiffin is looking for in his offense. It's just a matter of consistency with the pass game. And my thing is with, with Dart, he wasn't really any more consistent with the pass game last year. He really wasn't. So I think Sanders has a shot. It didn't seem that way in the spring, but we'll see what happens once again to fall camp. That's certainly something to watch there. Uh, Quinshot Judkins at running back was a true freshman last year is is really, really, really good. Again, he's a great fit for what they want to do because really at the core of their offense, they want to run the football downhill, and that's what Quinshot Judkins really does. I don't think he's the best, most talented running back in the country, but again, great fit for their offense and a really, really good running back. A really interesting name that I didn't really see anyone pay much attention to. It happened a couple of weeks ago. They got a transfer from UTSA, a guy by the name of Zachary Franklin, who's a two-time All-Conference USA receiver. And guys, I don't know if you watched UTSA play last year. I don't know if you know anything about them. They have one of the best passing offenses in the country. And they had two dudes at receiver. Franklin was the best, was the better of the two that were awesome. And so he's transferred to Ole Miss. I think that's a huge pickup for Ole Miss because if they can find a way to elevate their passing game to go along with what they can do in the run game with Judkins, that offense all of a sudden becomes even scarier. And I wouldn't say it was a scary offense last year. It was a very, very good SEC offense. It might become flat out scary if they can figure out how to become more proficient throwing the football. And I think he certainly gets them closer to that. Now he won't solve the entire problem because they still need a quarterback. But they have options this year. We'll see if they can just find one. And defensively, I know that's been the bugaboo for Ole Miss for a while now, even going back to Hugh Freeze, uh, especially with Lane Kiffin. But their defense did improve last year. They also bring in Pete Golding from Alabama. Now, Alabama fans will tell you, oh, Pete Golding sucks, and we're glad to see him go. And I don't think he's Kirby Smart, obviously, but he's a good coordinator. I think he'll do a good, solid job for them. And as it's been the case for Ole Miss for a while now, if their defense can just be average, if it can just be even like slightly below average, they can win a lot of games. So I think this Ole Miss team has the potential to be a, a kind of a sleeper, dangerous team in the SEC. Again, I think the schedule is very, very difficult. 
And the reason I have them outside the top of you, the big reason is I still have questions about quarterback. Can they find consistency at quarterback and can they be good enough on defense? Those are the two big questions. Defense showed improvement last year. Can you do it two years in a row, especially when you're transitioning to a new coordinator? We'll see how that works out and we'll see what happens at the quarterback position. But Ole Miss is certainly a team to watch on our schedule. Okay, guys, let's go ahead and move into the top three of my 2023 Georgia football schedule rankings. Coming in at number three, we've got the Kentucky Wildcats. Now, this is another game that I went back and forth on. Really, it was Ole Miss or Kentucky at number three. And ultimately, I settled on Kentucky for two reasons. Number one, I think they are better at quarterback, which is the most important position on the field. And number two, they are going to have a vastly superior defense to that of Ole Miss. I do think Ole Miss's defense could potentially take another slight step forward with Pete Golding coming over as their defense coordinator. But Mark Stoops has essentially never produced a bad defense in his life at Kentucky. Even go back to when he was the coordinator at Florida State. It just doesn't happen. Some years their defense is better than others, but they're always a good, solid defense at the very worst. This year, though, I think this Kentucky defense, with who they have coming back, could be one of those better Mark Stoop defenses. But let's go back to the quarterback situation. So we all know Will Levis. We wa- we watched him on draft night fall out of the first round when everyone thought he was not only going to be a first round, but potentially a top 10 type quarterback. We all heard that love, that NFL draft love, going back to like this time last year. And here on this show, we threw cold water on that all offseason long whenever we were talking about Kentucky. It wasn't a matter of physical tools. We know he's got the physical tools. It's a lot like Anthony Richardson. Physical tools in spades, sure, yes, can't deny that. But the production on the field never came close to actually matching those physical tools, at least at the college level. So fast forward to 2023. I think that Kentucky has upgraded at quarterback when they landed NC State transfer Devin Leary this offseason. Leary does not have the physical gifts that Will Levis has, but I simply do not care about that. What trumps all of my mind is the production at the college level. And quite simply, when he has been healthy, Devin Leary has been far more productive than Will Levis ever was at any point in his college career, whether that was at Penn State or the past couple years at Kentucky. Now, the issue with Leary is this. He's got to stay healthy. Two of the last three years, he has been unable to finish the season. But in 2021, when he managed to stay healthy for an entire year, he put up numbers that Will Levis never came close to touching. Listen to these numbers for 2021. 65.7% completion percentage, 3,400 yards passing, 35 touchdowns, 5 interceptions. That's Devin Leary in 2021 at NC State. Will Levis, his best year, let's see, his best year was 2021. 2,800 yards, 66% completion percentage, 24 touchdowns, 13 interceptions. That was Will Levis's best college career. So if you take both these guys and you look at them at their best, Devin Leary, hands down, has been the more productive quarterback. He's smarter with the football. He's more accurate with his passing. He is a good enough athlete to at least keep you honest with his legs. He makes good decisions. He does not put the offense in bad situations, which are all things that Will Levis consistently struggled with. Now, the only area that I think Will Levis certainly had an advantage was in his mobility. Levis was more mobile, bigger, physical, stronger, able to break tackles more consistently. 
but Leary has the edge in accuracy, decision-making, demeanor, as in like he's not a raging lunatic out there on the field. That's fine, like a middle linebacker. You don't want that in your quarterback. You want your quarterback to be calm, cool, collected, even kill. That's what you want a quarterback. That was the opposite of what we saw with Will Levis. So I think they clearly upgraded at quarterback. I think they have two awesome young receivers of Barryon Brown and Dane Key. They were both freshmen last year. Those dudes can play. They both flashed at times last year as freshmen, but coming to this year, I think they can absolutely take that next step and be dangerous playmakers. I mean, just go back to our game with Kentucky last year, guys. Barryon Brown torched Keely Ringo for over 100 yards as a true freshman. Now, I know a lot of people had their way with Keely Ringo, but hey, he's still an NFL guy and you're talking about a true freshman receiver. That guy is going to be very, very good. He is explosive. Dang, he gives him size on the outside. They do lose Chris Rodriguez, and you might think, well, that, that that's a tough blow because this Kentucky offense traditionally is more of a downhill, pro-style running attack, and Chris Rodriguez is a big factor in that. Well, yeah, he moves on, but then they take Ray Davis from Vanderbilt to plug and play, and he's a very similar style running back Big, strong, physical, tough runner fits that offense to a T. And oh, by the way, they also bring back Liam Cohen, who was their offense coordinator two years ago, and they produced the best offense by far in the March Stoops era. Cohen then takes that job, parlays it into a job at the Los Angeles Rams as their OC. He's now come back to Kentucky. And based off the evidence that we have, he came to Kentucky in one year in 2021 and transformed that offense to the best version of the Kentucky offense that we've seen under Mark Stoops. Why can he not do that again this year with a better quarterback? The offensive line is an issue. It was a major issue for them last year, but they did go out and get some guys from the transfer portal. I think that they will be better and more stable in the offensive line. I think that's the big question mark for them really on their entire team. If they can just get back to being solid on the offensive line, this Kentucky team has a chance to be the sleeper in the SEC. Their win total is only six and a half. I think that's crazy. I think they easily go over that. In fact, I've already got a significant amount of money on that one. That's like my Arkansas from last year. I am high on Kentucky going over six and a half. Feel really strongly about that. And then defensively, you look at some of the guys they got coming back this year, and I think Kentucky defense has a chance to be one of the best defenses in the entire league. J.J. Weaver might prove to be one of the best pass rushers in the entire league. I mean, when he was healthy, like he flashed at times last year. He showed you he has the potential to be that guy. This year as a redshirt senior, it would not shock me at all for J.J. Weaver's name to be in the top three in sacks by the time this season's over in the SEC. You got Trevin Wallace at linebacker, who I believe was one of their, if not their best defensive players last year. He's now back at, at will linebacker for them. This team has got some big-time playmakers on the defensive side of the ball. And again, when you got Mark Stoops there to kind of oversee things, a lot like we have with Kirby Smart. I know Kirby's not the coordinator. He's not calling the plays, but his influence is certainly all over that defense. It's the same story with Mark Stoops. Kirby's never produced a bad defense here at Georgia. Mark Stoops, the same thing. But here's the problem for Kentucky when they play Georgia. They are built so similarly to us that it's really hard for them to beat us because what they try to do in effect is to out Georgia, Georgia. I've talked about this when I talked about Michigan and why Michigan does not scare me at all. I have a lot of respect for Michigan. I think they will be very, very good this year. It would not shock me at all if Michigan went undefeated in the regular season again this year. It would not shock me at all. But if we happen to play them in the playoffs, I think you'll see a very similar story to what happened in the Orange Bowl two years ago because they are built almost identically to us and they simply do not have the same type of players. They don't have the same caliber of players. They're going to try to out Georgia, Georgia, 
and they're simply not going to be able to do that. I mean, you guys, I'm sure you've all seen the the headlines this week about how Michigan Jim Harbaugh has instituted a beat Georgia period at their practice, which I'm not offended by that. I take that as a compliment, man. That's great. And why would you not do that? Yeah, you want to beat Georgia. I know people are like laughing at it and poking fun at it, but I mean, I get it. Like if I'm Jim Harbaugh, I understand that you want to beat Georgia. Now, would he want that to get out? Probably not, but I don't think there's anything wrong with him wanting to do that. But they're going to try to out Georgia, Georgia, just like Kentucky, the way that their entire team is built, playing really good defense. They want to run the football, work play action off of that. That's exactly what we do, but they can't do it as well as us because they don't have those types of players. And that's why Kentucky never really worries me. Sure, they can keep it close from time to time. It was a relatively close game last year. At least it ended up being a close game. We were in complete control for the vast majority of that game, but we don't necessarily run away with all those games we play against Kentucky. Now, one year it was an absolute monsoon, so you kind of throw that one out, but they know exactly what we want to do because that's what they do. And they understand that mentality those games usually go really fast because both teams want to run the football a lot. And when you shrink the games like that and there's not as many plays run, the games tend to be a little bit closer. That's that's one of the things that we've seen with this Georgia-Kentucky series, but they're just never really going to be able to beat us because they don't have those kind of players. So I do respect Kentucky. I have a ton of respect for Mark Stoops and what he's been able to do in Lexington with that football program. And I think they just have a, a higher floor than what Ole Miss has this year. That's why I have Kentucky ahead of Ole Miss because I think that Kentucky's defense is going to keep them in a lot of games. I think that they have a better quarterback, at least a more proven quarterback than Ole Miss does. And overall, I just think they're stronger in the lines of scrimmage. And I, I'm a firm believer that the SEC is still very much a line of scrimmage league. So there you go. We've got Kentucky coming in at number three. And now we are to the top two. And I'm sure by now, through process of elimination, you guys are smart people. You figured out who we've got left. We've got Tennessee. We've got Auburn. What order? I think that's pretty clear. At number two, I've got the road game at Auburn as the second most difficult game on Georgia's 2023 football schedule. And I know some of you are going to hear that and say, dude, what? Auburn was terrible last year. They basically bought him out under Brian Harson. They're recruiting absolutely nosedived under Harson, a lot like Florida's recruiting did under Dan Mullen. It's year one of a brand new head coach. Yeah, we have respect for Hugh Freeze, but it's a new coach. Doesn't have a lot of talent. How can that possibly be the second most difficult game on our schedule? I, and I understand that line of thinking. But here's where I'm coming from. Number one, let's think about where this game is played. I don't know how many of you have gone to a Georgia-Auburn game on the Plains, but I can absolutely guarantee you that atmosphere is going to be wild. It will be out of control. You have the two-time defending national champion who also happens to be one of your biggest rivals, Deep South's oldest rivalry, right? Coming to your place relatively early in the season when you probably haven't lost a lot of games yet. You still are, are holding on to hope. You have Hugh Freeze. You want to believe, right? You're trying to get into it. That place is going to be bananas. If you've been to Auburn for a Georgia-Auburn game, especially the past couple of years, you know exactly what I am talking about. That environment is going to be crazy. And that will be Carson Beck's first road start. I believe in Carson. I think he's going to do an outstanding job for us this year. But until you're put in a situation like that, you just don't know. Now, talent-wise, overall, 135 of the roster, no contest. And yes, Brian Harson was asleep at the wheel when it came to recruiting. But that's where the transfer portal comes into play. That has certainly mitigated some of those issues because now, if you haven't been recruiting well the past couple of years, a new head coach comes in, you can go ahead and immediately clean up your roster just by diving into the transfer portal. 
And that is exactly what Auburn has done. Now, they have not upgraded their roster to the point that they can really even come close to having the type of talent that we have, but they have upgraded their roster and they've done a pretty damn good job doing that. They have a top five transfer portal class this year. 19 guys left the program, 20 new guys came in to replace them. That's called flipping a roster and that's done in one year. And they also added some, what I think could potentially be impact players in the transports, not just bodies. Now, some of the guys are just bodies, but they got a couple of guys that you look at and you say, man, like these guys going to be in pretty big time players for Auburn in the SEC. Jair Shorter coming in from North Texas. I know you say, well, North Texas, dude, he, he was a good, productive receiver for North Texas. And that's been a problem for Auburn for a couple of years. Their receiver core has been one of the, if not the worst receiver cores in the entire league for a couple of years running now. They're trying to change that. The biggest transfer has got to be Peyton Thorne from Michigan State at quarterback. Thorne wasn't great last year, but you go back to 2021 when they had that 10 win year. He was really, really good for Michigan State. And Hugh Freeze has made a habit, made a career of taking quarterbacks and getting production out of them no matter what their style is, no matter what their talent level is. And Peyton Thorne is a good quarterback. He's got a good strong arm, fairly accurate, mobile enough. I think he's certainly going to be an upgrade over what they had in that room. Now, Robbie Ashford was the guy that was going to probably be the quarterback this year if before Thorne had transferred. And he was a guy that played most of the year for them last year, at least half or so of the year. And you guys know what he brings to the table. A dynamic runner with his legs. Dynamic out there in the open field. But an absolute liability as a passer. In fact, I mean, it, it is a stretch to even really call him a quarterback. He was essentially a running back playing at the quarterback position, almost like a single wing kind of guy. Yeah, he tried to throw the ball, but man, it was an adventure. Every time he put the ball in the air, had no clue what he was doing, couldn't read defense to save his life. Accuracy was all over the place, but man, the dude could run. Just an insane athlete. And the battle hasn't been decided yet. It'll go into fall camp and we'll see who, who wins it. I'm putting my money on Peyton Thorne with his experience and his ability to, I don't know, actually complete a forward pass. So I put my money there. I think that will be an upgrade from that quarterback. Certainly more stability. They also bring in Justin Rogers. So I can talk about how good Kentucky's defense I think is going to be this year. Well, they did lose one big piece off that. Justin Rogers is a big-time defensive lineman that transferred from Kentucky over to Auburn this year. Another big-time impact player adding to that Auburn defensive line. I think he could be one of the better defensive linemen in the entire SEC this year. You got Phil Montgomery coming over as the offensive coordinator. He was formerly the head coach at Tulsa, got fired after last year, and now he's at Auburn as offensive coordinator. And, and say what you want about him as a head coach, he had some solid years as the head coach that they played for their uh, for the AAC title game just a couple years ago. Didn't end well the past couple years, but the dude can score points. He can coordinate an offense. There's no worries there. I think they will upgrade on that side of the ball. He brought a couple line. He brought a lineman with him, guy named Jaden Muskrat, who's gonna play tackle for Auburn. So they've got some guys coming from the portal. Got a new coordinator, new head coach. I think they're gonna breathe, breathe life into this program. I think it's gonna be a quicker turnaround than people realize. This is another team. Their win total is six and a half right now. I I know they played in the ICC West. You gotta play Georgia. You gotta play Alabama. Two very difficult games. But their non-conference is a joke this year. I think they get to seven or eight wins. I have not put a win total bet down on that yet, but I'm going to. I'm absolutely going to. So I know it might seem a little out there to hear me rank Auburn as a second most difficult game on our schedule, but I really believe it. If you look at where the game is played, the environment that we are going to be playing in, the fact that it's going to be Carson Beck's first road game in that kind of environment. you got a new head coach. I think some breathing some life into the program. And you flip the roster with a transfer portal. You bring in a couple big-time impact players, including Peyton Thorne at the most important position on the field. I think this Auburn team can, can upset somebody this year. I don't think it will be us, but it would not shock me for them to be somebody they probably shouldn't this year. And then finally, of course, that leaves us 
with the most difficult game on our schedule, at least what I am projecting to be the number one most difficult game on Georgia's 2023 football schedule, and that is the Tennessee Volunteers. We are playing in Knoxville this year, guys. I think this one's pretty obvious. I imagine almost all of you would agree with me on this. You might not agree with some of the other rankings I had, but I think Tennessee is generally viewed as the best team on our schedule, and the fact that it's in Knoxville obviously adds to that. I know that might seem kind of chalky to go with Tennessee here, but it's the right call. They are the best team on the schedule. This is going to be the most difficult game on our schedule, and I say that because I believe that Tennessee has the best combination of talent, coaching, and also the location of the game. That's why I have it at number one. We know at quarterback Joe Milton's got a lot of love, a lot of talk all offseason about Joe Milton's arm. He's got that Uncle Rico arm, right? He can throw the ball three football fields, throw the ball over those mountains over there. And that's great, man. That's cool. Good for you. But can you actually throw the ball to someone? Can you throw the ball to a target that is moving? And that's not even really tongue-in-cheek. Like, honestly, dude, can you do that? And my thing with Milton, I've said this several times this offseason, when I look at Joe Milton, what I see is Anthony Richardson light. I see knockoff Anthony Richardson, a guy with extraordinary arm talent, extraordinary physical gifts, but a guy that just struggles to actually play the position of quarterback to do the things that quarterbacks have to really do to be proficient as passers, to actually put the ball on guys, to hit guys when they are open, to consistently run through progressions, to consistently understand what defenses are trying to do to you, to identify where pressure is coming from, to know where your outlets are. All those things quarterbacks have to do just kind of struggles with that. Decision-making struggles with that. There is a reason why this guy lost his job at two schools, lost his job at Michigan, was a starter at Michigan, lost his job to Cade McNamara. Comes over to Tennessee, was named the starter in 2021, lost his job. Now, all of a sudden, third time's a charm? Is that is that what we're saying? I don't know. I wouldn't put my money on it. I know Tennessee fans are going to buy it because, you know, hope springs eternal, right? But I wouldn't be putting my money on that. And on top of that, you lose two NFL wide receivers, Cedric Tillman and Jalen Hyatt, Hyatt being the Blitnikoff Award winner as the best receiver in the country last year. You lose both those guys, and you expect their backups who don't have nearly the physical tools as those guys to be as good or better with the backup quarterback from last year, that doesn't register with me. I I do have respect for Josh Heupel and the offense they run. Josh Heupel has never produced a bad offense ever when he's been calling plays. It's just not possible. Just dude just doesn't do it. So they're going to be good, but are they going to be as good as they were last year? I have a hard time believing that man with the guys that they lost. Now, defensively, I know a lot of people like to make fun of Tennessee for their defense. Oh, you guys have this great offense. Your defense isn't that good. Their defense actually was kind of sneaky good last year. And they do have a lot of contributors returning. So I do think Tennessee will be good on defense. If they were good last year, maybe they'd even be slightly better than they were last year. But will they be good enough to beat Georgia? No. If we come to Knoxville and we play our A game, hell, even our B game, no, they cannot. Now, here's what I will say about Tennessee. is another reason why I have them at number one. I think of all the teams that we play on our schedule this year, the Power 5 teams on our on our schedule, there are very few teams that have enough talent that even if we play like a C or D level game, like play as poorly as we could, there's very few teams on our schedule this year that can actually take advantage of that and beat us. Like if we play a, a C or D level game and they play their A game, there's very few teams on the schedule that could actually pull that off and beat us. I think Ole Miss could beat us if they play their A game and we play really, really, really poorly. I think Kentucky, if they play their A game, like A plus game, and we play really, really poorly, they could potentially maybe possibly beat us. I don't think Vandy can, obviously. I don't think Tech can. I don't think Florida can. 
I don't think South Carolina can. Missouri came close last year, but that's case in point, right? Like we played almost as poorly as we possibly could for 85, 90% of that game last year and still found a way to win that game, pull it out on the road. So to lose to teams like South Carolina and Missouri, especially at home and also Florida at a neutral site, to lose to those teams this year, I mean, it would require a perfect storm. Like we would legitimately have to play as poorly as we possibly could, turn the ball over five, six times, give them easy scores, pick sixes, miss a bunch of field goals, throw interceptions in the end zone, and they would have to play out of their minds. Kind of like South Carolina did last year against Tennessee and and Clemson. Now I think we're better than both those teams were last year. Like it would take a perfect storm. That's what it would take for us to lose to, to those teams. But Tennessee is the team on the schedule I look at and say it probably wouldn't take a perfect storm. Like if we just played like a B B minus level game and they played like an A plus game, especially in Knoxville, they could knock us off. But I, I just keep coming back to this. I, I know I sound like a broken record really going for going on like four or five years now, but I will say it yet again. This is another season where if we play to our standard, as Kirby likes to talk about, if we play to our standard and play the way that we are capable of playing, we will not lose to anyone. In fact, no one will come close to touching us if we go through the schedule and play that way every single week. Now, are we going to do that? No, because we're talking about 18, 19, 20, 21-year-old guys, right? They're not going to all consistently, every week, week in and week out, play at their best. You're going to have weeks where you don't play your best game. and You've got to be able to still find a way to win those games, like at Missouri last year. Ohio State in the Peach Bowl is another example. But there really is no reason why we should lose any game on our regular season schedule this year. But there is plenty more time over the next month or two to dive even deeper into that, which we will. We've got our Scout the Enemy series coming up next week. It's time, guys. It's time to open that. I know we've got a lot of DMs over the past month or so asking like, hey, man, when is the Scout the Enemy series going to start? Well, guys, the wait is nearly over. I'll have that for you guys first thing next week. And from here on out, from now all the way up until the first week of September, we are going to be previewing the 2023 season. We have a ton of great content planned for you guys. We've got everything all planned out, ready to roll. And we've got a lot of fun stuff for you guys. I'm really excited about it. I think you're going to enjoy it. And look, we are going to have some big recruiting news in the month of July. So we had this huge recruiting month in June with guys coming to campus every single weekend. Well, a lot of that is going to pay dividends this month in July. So I don't want you to think that we're not going to talk about some of those commitments when they happen on the show. We will. We just won't spend entire episodes on it like we have over the past month. But the month of July is going to be very good to the Georgia Bulldogs. And we'll definitely cover those commitments when they pop. But all right, guys, this felt good. This felt really, really good. And I am so excited that now for the next two months heading into the 2023 college football season, we are going to be full go talking actual ball teams players schemes all the stuff that you love all the stuff that i love so it's gonna be a lot of fun make sure guys don't miss a second of it keep on coming back and we will get you ready for the 2023 football season like nobody else can but have an awesome weekend guys i'm tyler and of course as always go dogs